Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and elders who give us their message of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. Today, we're talking to the former hostage negotiator, relationship and success builder, Jeremy Nix. Jeremy took a huge leap of faith and gave up the regular paycheck, embarking on a dream career as a wellness and health coach. And today combines that with his previous career to help you become the hero in your own story. Right now, we get to hear Jeremy tell how you can pivot and have success no matter what your current circumstances. He also tells why it's important to put the spotlight on others. He's very open and tells very clearly how he's failed plenty. He had seven business failures before the success and says community is always what gets him through. Well, that and his family. That along with being with authenticity honest communication and of course drive because determination and drive must be necessary to keep going after the failures I mean it takes tenacity to get back up and keep going but we all know that those put us closer to our dreams and I can't get to wait to get to the rest of Jeremy's message of hope welcome to 52 weeks of hope Jeremy Nix hey thank you so much for having me Lauren I am so honored to be a part of even one moment of 52 weeks. I don't even need a whole week, just one moment. I'm just honored to be a part, so thank you. Thank you. Such an interesting life as a hostage and crisis negotiator, just that right there. I mean, my son would probably want to be in the room with me right now and ask you a million questions, but it must be great with dealing with relationships and connection in general, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm, it is the highest of highs and honestly, sometimes the lowest of lows in that in that world of, of hostage and crisis negotiations, because when you succeed and you really connect, a, a life is transformed right in front of your eyes. And so that is the most amazing feeling. And then there's the moments that you did everything you could and it, it didn't turn out the way you wanted and you and you work through the disappointment and and, and try to learn and grow from there. Do they give, I mean, well, you want to talk about where you, did you work for the FBI or where were you working? No, we're all, we're yeah. FBI certified. You have to be certified through the FBI to be a negotiator. I actually worked in a local agency here in Southern California and did that for several, several, several years. And so that's where, that's where I did mine though, was for a local agency. Okay. We won't get it. I'm, I'm here too. And now you're working with relationship and success building. How did you end up in that? I mean, it almost sounds like a natural, you know, way to go from one to the next, but there's a lot of steps in between. Absolutely. There, the story of my life it, from the age of about 17 years old was one of, I'm going to make an impact. I, no matter what, I just want to make an impact. And all the other things are great. Having a great career, having a great, building a great business, all those things are great. I want to leave my mark. And that just was something that was in me at a very young age. And so many of my pursuits throughout my life have been based on, can, can I make an impact here? And so when I discovered negotiations, it really came from a place of desperation, feeling like the world of first responder wasn't wasn't making the impact I, that I really believed was possible for my life. And so that opportunity opened up and I saw it and I said, oh, I want to do that. That's that's impact. And then from there, when I just learned those skills, I found myself in a moment about, well, about an hour after stepping off a bridge with someone, I found myself going, 
why am I not applying this to the other areas of my life, my own personal relationship? And then my wife and I have a business, uh, health and wellness business. Why am I not applying these things here to help people improve their, their physical health, their relational and mental health and their financial health? Why am I not applying it? I went, that's the perfect impact maker is to take hostage and crisis negotiations and combine them with what I'm doing in wellness and business and, and the other areas that we work on. And um, that's how it all happened. There's so much in that because I know that you, it took a lot for you to even get there. So you had cancer when you were 16 yes. and that must've impacted the rest of your life to this day. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I joke around and tell everybody like I'm the kid who had everything. I, I actually did, I, I lead a, led a pretty charmed life and did all the things, had the girlfriend, had the new car at 16 years old. I was the homecoming king of my school. I had all those things going for me. And at that point, usually people are like, oh, wow, this guy's kind of full of himself. But I say it to say, I also, because of that, I also recognize what it's like to have everything ripped from you. And at 16, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was in stage 4B, stage 3B of Hodgkin's lymphoma. And my doctor told me in a hospital bed when I thought everything was supposed to be fixed because I, I just thought, oh, I was gonna be fine. Um, I have a background in faith and I just, I, I thought my faith was gonna fix it. And when the doctor told me that it was worse than they thought and that I had less than a 40% chance to live and even less of a chance of, of cure, even if they could fix it for a season, I found myself in a moment going, well, what's, what am I gonna do with the little life I have left? And I was hopeless. So when you talk about 52 weeks of hope, I was, I at 16 years old went from top of the world to bottom of the pit and feeling hopeless. And it was in that moment alone because I kicked everybody out of my hospital bed. It was in a few moments in that, in that hospital room alone. I didn't kick them out of my bed. I said bed, kicked them out of my hospital room. And it was in that moment in the hospital room alone that I, I said, if I get through this, I'm gonna make a difference in this world. I'm gonna make a difference while I'm in this world. And if I get through it, I'm gonna continue to. And that, so yeah, when you talk about having a, that was the moment it all began. That was the first step for me, was deciding that whatever time I have left on this planet, there will be an imprint for good for someone else. And so that's where it all started. It must be incredible because your kids are, I think, 14 and 17 right now, and you got cancer when you're 16. It's got to be even, I don't know, it, there's just something about that. Yeah, there's, well, first, I'm not supposed to be able to have children. So the fact that I have children in itself is amazing. I was 50% of the, of the men who had the type of cancer I had couldn't have children of their own, and I fell into that 50%. And then the other 50% get wiped out because of chemotherapy and the type of chemotherapy I had. So I shouldn't even be able to have children. So then to have them, even when doctors continue to tell me, oh no, you can't have kids, to have them and then for them to hit the age or thereabouts of where I was sick, obviously stirs up massive uh. memories. It can, if I allow it to, it can stir up a lot of fear and I have to release that. Like I said, I'm a person of faith. So for me, I have to lean into my faith and say, hey, it didn't look good for me and here I am today. So we can face whatever may come our way with our with our boys. And, and that's just the way we have to, that's the way we choose to live. My wife and I, we choose to live. We, we live moving forward. We, we look, we, we just continue to move forward. We don't freak out about every moment. We think we look at every moment as a, a blessing 
And so that's what we've had to do with our boys. Do, but do you feel the feelings or, I mean, Oh, uh, absolutely. Do you have, what are your tools for, for those moments when you're like, Oh my gosh, when your oldest hit 16, that it has to have been something. I would Interestingly think. enough, and you may not know this about me, Lauren, but interestingly enough, when my son was turning 16, I was asked to be on a reality show with Disney where they talked about me being sick. Yes. I, I, I and, saw that. Yeah. yeah go ahead. It, was, it was actually his 60, the, the month of his 16th birthday was when I filmed that reality show. So it all came colliding, uh, colliding together. And I actually had a, a really difficult moment. It had been 25 years for me since I had been diagnosed with cancer. And there were things that I had held on to and maybe not allowed myself to feel. There were disappointments, there were fears. And that reality show if you ever want to have stuff exposed in your life that you haven't dealt with go on a reality show and that reality show brought those things to the surface so yes i do i actually i choose to what i choose to do is i actually choose to lean into the feeling not deny the feeling and i i i lean into it just to then ask myself and get curious with myself about what where is it coming from what is the emotion under the emotion so if i find myself being angry or frustrated what's what's the underlying emotion that's even be below that take the moment to pause take the moment to accept the feeling not be judgmental of the feeling but accept it give myself grace because so oftentimes we're so hard on ourselves when we feel neg especially negative feelings right we're so hard on ourselves and i get i choose to be compassionate with myself and sometimes i literally will say to myself well of course well of course you feel that way of course you're scared about your 16, 17, 18 year old son getting a, a, a cough or feeling a little bit tired. Of course you are. Do you remember what it was like when you were 16 and you got tired? That makes sense. But then from there, after allowing myself to process it, I go to the next step and go, so what am I going to do with the emotion now? I can choose to sit in fear or I can live in truth. And the truth is, he was out till midnight the night before. Of course, he's tired today. We all get the flu at times. Of course, he's got the flu. Of course, he does. That's okay. And I, and I have to, so, I, so that's how I process. I accept it. I get curious about it. I give myself grace and compassion. And then I process forward with what is truth in this situation. Yeah. So you feel the feelings and you yeah. move on, but move you feel on. them. But you still yeah. feel them. Yeah. Instead of being busy. <laughs> Yes, which I used to do a lot. I used to yeah. brush by feelings and just move on to the next thing so I wouldn't have to feel those things. Yeah, I guess that came out in the reality show. Is that what you were starting to say? <laughs> oh yeah, it did. I, uh, I have I have no hair as it is. That's a that's a family trait. Our hair falls out, and so I have been shaving my head since I since I went into first responder life and became a law enforcement. I stopped fighting the baldness and just embraced it. And I and I shave and I shave my head to a certain point. I buzz it, but I had never shaved it fully bald since I was 16 years old. And there was a thing and I didn't even realize there was a thing. And on the show, they actually asked me to shave my head down because I was a part of the show is that you putting together a theater broadcast that you're a theater, a play that you had done in high school. And I was daddy Warbucks in Annie in, in high school when we did a play. And so we were doing that and they said, well, Hey, we need you to shave your head. And it brought me, it brought me to tears. Like I had not experienced in a very long time, all because of the idea that I was going to lose all my hair and I have hardly any hair anyway. So it makes no sense to anyone but me. But what I realized in that moment is 
I had faced cancer by just battling everything and taking control of every little thing I could do. So when they told me I couldn't go to school, I went to school more with cancer than I did without. When they told me I couldn't hang out with my friends, I hung out with every single one of them. They said I couldn't play sports, which I kind of couldn't, but I was on the team. I showed up to every game. I was there at every football game. I didn't miss. I did everything they told me I couldn't do. I actually got straight A's that year, and I was like a B and C student the years before, but I did everything that they said was not possible, except I didn't have control over losing my hair. And it was 25 years later that I realized how much I had been affected that, but I had muscled through everything and you can't muscle through everything in life. You just have to sometimes accept life deals crappy hands at times. And yeah, we, we all have our time in the barrel. That's we for all have sure. it. We do. So, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I was alluding to when I talked about being on the reality show. And then you also, before we're talking about walking off the bridge mm -hmm. with someone. So what, what did you say to this person on the bridge? What was that? Well, that was a full circle moment for me, for sure. The first time I ever negotiated with someone on a bridge was actually in a role-playing scenario when I interviewed to be on the hostage negotiation team. And I thought I was amazing. I thought I did a great job. They told me, here's a guy on a bridge, go talk him down. And I talked for five minutes and it felt like five hours, but I just talked away and I said all the things I knew to say. And I was very confident in some ways, prideful. And I thought I did amazing. And then after the role playing with the man on the bridge who wouldn't ever talk to me, he wouldn't speak to me. He just said, go away. I stepped off the bridge and into the actual interview, if you will, and to answer all the questions and thought I did great. Three days after the interview, I hadn't heard anything. So I asked about why, when I start, that's how, that's yeah. how full of confidence I was. I said, when do I start? And the person who I asked said, do you want to know the truth? And I said, well, I have to know the truth now. And she said, the man on the bridge has been a hostage negotiator for 20 years. He's been trained by everyone, including going to London and being trained by the top negotiators in Europe. And he said, if you had showed up in his moment of crisis, he would have jumped. So I learned in that moment that I wasn't as great as I thought. I was actually so bad that I made a normal person want to jump off a bridge. So then three years later, I told you I, I walked off a bridge with someone. Three years later, I worked really hard because they actually gave me a shot to be on the team. They saw potential and they said, if you'll be willing to grow and learn, then we want you on the team. And here's what I learned in those three years. It's actually not what I say, but as much as what you communicate and what I hear. And it's about getting curious about who you are rather than it being all about me and what I can say to convince you to get off a bridge. And it took me a lot of practice. It took me a whole lot of self-reflection and a whole lot of growth. And three years later, after going to a lot of different scenes and after being a part of the team in tons of negotiations, three years later, I get a call that there's a guy on a bridge, but this time he's real. The bridge is real and he really won't talk to anybody. He's been standing on one of the, the, in my area, one of the most deadly bridges there is, and he's been standing on the side of the railing, on the outside of the railing for already an hour. And then I did everything in my power to delay getting there. Cause I knew if I was first, I'd have to talk to him. And I was scared of that because the last time I did that, I made a normal person want to jump. But I, I went and we, my partner and I stood on the bridge with him for eight hours. And for the first three hours, he wouldn't say a word. And all I could think of is, I've done this before. 
and I made a normal guy want to jump. I kept thinking that. But here's the truth. Everything about the two scenarios, the one I did that was a pretend and the one that was real, they were identical. The only thing that changed was this guy, was me, as I had grown. And at three hours, without saying a word, he communicated very loudly something that mattered to him by just a simple gesture of a change in his posture. And we caught it. We saw it. And that small communication that he made where we listened really, really hard for what he was saying, it turned the tide for him. And we began to help him see the future that he was giving up on by stepping off that bridge. And five hours after that, he stepped off the bridge. He walked over and he actually gave us a hug and said, thank you. And so it's really not what I said as much as what we heard and how we got curious about posture changes, how we got curious about his life and what mattered to him, how we got, how we got curious enough to where curiosity turned to offering some hope and helping him see a future that he didn't believe existed before he got on the bridge. And that's that was out of every negotiation I've ever been to, that moment was the greatest moment and it had nothing to do with anything I said, but everything about really hearing and seeing someone in their moment of need. What, what was his posture change? The first thing. Yeah. So we, we were, we were trying everything cause that's what we do. We try and find out what's going on with the person and we, and we're asking a lot of questions and we're on this bridge and he wouldn't let us get close to him. We had to yell all the way over to him. And at that moment, my partner was, was asking him different questions and he had left his car parked down the way from the bridge. So the rest of the team was working on finding out information and they found uh, information that he had a son. We didn't know anything more. We just knew he had a son. And so my partner said to him, asked him, hey, tell me a little bit about your son. And he didn't respond and my partner continued. And at that part, my role was just to do the listening. One of us was doing the talking and one was doing the listening. It was my turn to listen. And I saw all he did when he heard son is he had been slumped over looking down on the bridge. He, the first thing he did was he lifted up his chest and he looked forward. That was it. He just did that. And my partner continued on because he didn't get a response response. So he continued on. And I said, I said, Hey, Troy, stop, go back, ask him another question about his son. And so he did. And the next thing he did was he, without even lifting his arms from his side, he just gave us a small thumbs up. And we did those kind of gesturing questions with a small gesture for about another hour before he ever even spoke a word. But it was all from just a simple shift of his posture. He just sat up and we realized this is about his son. This man loves his son. He may not care about anything else right now, but he cares about that boy. And so that was the change. That was the posture change. That's amazing. Yeah, that's intense listening. Yeah. And yeah. the truth is, Lauren, everybody's communicating if we'll just take a moment to listen, even if they're not saying words. So, and, I, and yeah. So in a relationship, in, in our in our families and things like that, when we're we're mad and, and really all we should be doing is listening for what's what's really going on, what's the underlying. You said you worked on things with your wife. Like what would what should we be looking for? First thing that we have to do is we have got to stop. And you mentioned this earlier, the, the spotlight for whatever reason in a conversation or whether it's conflict based or celebration based. So oftentimes the conversation is filled with the spotlight. Who can turn the spotlight on themselves quicker? 
and you, me, you, me. It's, it's a constant battle of story. It's a constant battle of, I want you to look at me, see me. And I want you to see me. The first thing that I, I want, I really want to encourage anyone who's finds themselves in that frustrated moment, as hard as it can be, is to stop for a moment and turn the spotlight on someone else. Not like you're a detective in an interrogation room and the spotlight's on them and you want to know the deets. Turn the spotlight to, to see them as the, as the star of the, of the moment, to see them as the hero for just a moment. If you can do that for just a moment and you begin to see them, rather than you wanting them to see you, you see them. That's the first thing I began to do with, with my wife. My wife and I actually went through a major conflict in our seven years into our marriage. I wish I had these skills at that time, but without knowing it, I learned some of them. And one of the first things that we both chose to do without even really talking to each other about it, but we both chose to do it was in moments of frustration, we started by to turn the spotlight by adding gratitude. So when I, when I was really angry about, and this is me, when I was really angry about the things she wasn't doing, why is she, gosh, why is she make, leaving all these dishes out? When I, when I'd come home from a 12 hour shift, there's dishes everywhere. Why is she leaving all these dishes out? Instead, I chose to get grateful. Man, I'm so thankful. I have a wife who's willing to stay up and cook a special meal just for me when she knows I work really long hours. Wow. She doesn't have to do that. I'm so grateful. Suddenly I found myself washing the dishes going, she's worked hard. I can do this. So I think the first thing is if you can create an attitude of gratitude towards the other person for the things that they are, not the things that they are not, the things that they are, you'll begin to turn that spotlight. And Absolutely. then I think it's whatever I, we focus yeah. on grows. I just talked about yes. this uh, two episodes ago, uh, the, cause we were talking about the daily gratitude list. I said, are you kidding me? When I'm mad at Scott, I'll write a whole gratitude list to him. And somebody, people I tell this to, they're like, but I'm mad. I said, the point is by the time you get to the end, you're like, oh my God, he's so great. Yes. There's a great <laughs> rule out changed. there. Oh, yeah. I love that you said that. There's a great rule called the one in 10 rule. If you have a frustration with somebody, say 10 positive things about them before you give them the one complaint. Yeah. By the time you get That's to 10, good. you don't even care about the complaint. Yeah, you forget it. I, like, I mean, forget it. Yeah, it doesn't matter because mm -hmm. you're with the best person ever. <laughs> yes. So that. So I would say that's the first thing is you begin to turn the spotlight. The second thing is when the spotlight has been turned, you get really curious about the underlying why behind the what. So whatever the, the what is that's going on, you under, you begin to get curious about their story. Rather than you, me, you, me, you, me, it's just you. Learning to get really curious and listen with curiosity rather than listen to respond, just listen with curiosity. So when Lindsay, my wife and I find ourselves in a moment of frustration in life, or if she's, let's just say not even just conflict with each other, but how can I be a better husband? When she tells me that she's not doing well, or I notice because the spotlight's on her, I notice that things seem a little off. I do my best to ask just to understand not ask so that I can fix, not ask so that I can respond, not ask so that I can go out and beat somebody up for my wife. Not, not of those things, by the way, I, I don't do that anyways, yeah, but yeah. I ask just to get curious about what is going on in her and why it's affecting her. I want to know why it's affecting her. So you had a bad day. Tell me what happened. Well, A, B, and C happened. Tell me what about A, B, and C is so important to you. That, that that would affect your day. Man, it's amazing. When you begin to understand 
your relationship changes because when someone feels understood, they feel very connected to you, very connected. And that's when real influence in relationships grows is when you feel, when you're super connected. Yeah, no, definitely. So how did you get to being a relationship and success builder from what you were doing and what made you stop with the regular paycheck and I'm going for this? Yeah, so <laughs> like I said, it actually on that night on the bridge, I walked off the bridge eight hours later. My wife and I already had a, a our, our wellness business, which is like I said, we deal with healthy body, healthy mind and, and which impacts relationships all the time and then healthy finances. And I walked off the bridge exhausted. I, I drove home, it was an hour drive home and I got in the door and the first thing I did, cause she was waiting up for me. The first thing I did was collapse into my, into my chair. And I had a moment of just crying because there was so much that was connected to that. First of all, this man's life was changed, which was the most important thing. Secondly, there was growth that had taken place in me that I hadn't seen. And so then after that, we began to process and I went, thought to myself and I, and I verbalized to Lindsay, if we did this, if we could really understand, really understand how to just help connect people to, to being curious, how to build influence, how to build relationship, how to change their own life story. If we could use these skills, our business would explode. It, it would just, it would, it would explode. And, and, and then I'd be able to make an impact on, on the time that I have, not on somebody else's schedule. And she said, well, great. Why don't you do that? And I said, okay. So I began to develop these tools that I started to use in our business and we watched our business grow and we watched our business flourish. And we began to bridge the gap between where people are and where they want to be. And by, by utilizing these things, yeah, they work in for our own personal services that we offer, but they also work in relationship. They work in every area of life because everything is about bridging gaps between where someone, their current reality and where their desired outcome is. And so, so that's when I made the decision to grow it. And then over the next, that was about three years. So over the next three years, as it developed, I got to a place that I said, okay, at some point I got to take a risk. At some point I got to take a risk. At some point I got to take a risk. And then 2020 hit and I, my job completely changed. My regular nine to five job completely changed because with the events of 2020, I wasn't needed in the one role that I had. I was needed in other roles and they sent most of us back to the streets and I got sent back to the streets and I realized I'd always joked around and said, I'm one bad day away from retirement from the nine to five. And then April of 2020 came and I would hit my bad day of, of, and I said to Lindsay, I said, all right, let's take the risk. Let's take the leap. Let's go for this. And we did. And we've never looked back. Um, I, I gave it, I shouldn't say we did six months later, I actually resigned and, and we haven't looked back and we've watched, we've watched it flourish because it's about other people. And when you make other people superheroes, you find more people to help when they feel like they're a superhero, you find more people to help. And that's what we've just done. Yeah. I know that I, that you put the spotlight on others. Mm -hmm. and make them the hero. Oh, you wanna talk about that? Yeah, for sure. So I don't remember who the person is that said it, but they often said the key to getting everything you want in life is to give, give it, uh, excuse me, to get to the key to getting what you want in life is to give as many people as possible what they want in life. 
And we've just made that our mission. So putting the spotlight or making others the superhero, making it about them has been the massive difference in our life and business with relationships, with business, everything is being someone who is more focused about adding value than taking away. And that's what putting the spotlight is. It's more interested in what someone else needs than what I can get. And, and so that is what I start from the very beginning with who is this person? What is their current reality? What is they, what's going on with them? What is the story they're believing about themselves? What is, what is driving them? I, everybody's either running from something they don't want or running to something they do want. What are their desires? What are they desiring to get away from or what are they desiring to get to? And by doing that, you right away begin to focus on them. And then from there, you're, you're allowed, you, you earn the opportunity to get even more curious with them. And you begin to ask questions about them. You make them the focal point. You see that they become the spotlight. I rarely tell people about what I do. I think it's it's interesting to me that you even know a little bit more about what I do because when I have a conversation, most of the time I'm talking to you about you. And so, and so you earn the right to get curious and that's through active listening skills. I teach active listening skills like crazy. There's nine of nine key skills. We call it more pies. And I teach people these more pies of active listening so they can get really curious and dig deep into somebody's story, into their story. Story. So, and okay, then, wait, wait, wait. So, wait. So, what's an active listening skill? What do you consider an active listening skill? Sure. An active listening skill is a skill that, so you are actively diving into somebody else's life and story. You're listening to really understand and encourage them to share more. I think that's the big thing. Oftentimes, we think we're active listening, we think we're listening. We're not. Uh, we are just waiting for our chance to talk. Okay. So what is your why? That's what everyone talks about now. What's your why? You have to know your why. I, I, it's not that new because where I, my favorite spin instructor, Angela, has been saying it for years. Yeah. Better know your why. Right. Uh, Simon Siddick wrote that book, Start With Why. Yeah. And I love it because I wrote the, the, I read the next book that was called Find Your Why because he realized he had given people a great question that no one has a great answer for. And he, and he talks about in, in Find Your Why, he talks about using the word what because why is such a hard term to de describe. So he says, well, let's start with what? I have lots of whys. So the reason that I am motivated, I've, I think I've already shared a little bit, the reason I'm motivated for this connection with people, there is nothing you can succeed at in life, I, I don't believe fully, that others aren't involved in. They're just not, we are not met, we are not solo beings, we're just not. We're supposed to be in relationship and community. And so I am driven personally to succeed. I am driven to help other people succeed and help them to recognize that we are better together, that everything requires others. And if you're going to connect with others, you have to know how to connect. So I want other people to succeed. And because I want other people to succeed, I have to teach them how to connect. I have to. Why do I want other people to succeed? Because I am at my best when other people are winning. It is the most fulfilling thing in the world for me. And I said early on, I believe my life was met at 16 years old. I realized I was meant to make a positive impact on this world. I cannot do that alone. And I can't do that unless I am really, really impacting other people and helping them go out and win. And so that's what drives me every day, whether that's in our, our wellness business with working with people in relationships and their finances, whether that's just in my everyday life with my boys, 
what that that's my biggest why is I want to leave a massive imprint of goodness on this world. When you tell people that you're you're a hostage negotiator and all that, what's the most common question you're asked? Well, everybody wants to know a story. Everybody, oh, tell me like, and then a lot of times like, hey, are you negotiating with me right now? Are you, are you, are you doing that thing? My wife used to do not do that to me. Do not, she would say to me all the time, do not do that to me. So a lot of times what actually happens is, whoa, that's really cool. Cause they think I'm Denzel Washington in, in the movie. They don't realize how it actually works. Then I get a, can you tell me a story? And then I get a, are you, are you working that stuff on me now? Those are the, that's kind of the, the sequence of events. Yeah. I was just curious. I thought, okay, I, you must get very, very good questions when you tell people. Yeah. Or uh, you know what the other one I get from, from a lot of people, can you help me help my spouse do what I want them to do? <laughs> Uh, yeah, treat her right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I always, well, I always follow up with, there's your issue right there. You're trying to get somebody to do what you want them to do. Negotiators help people do what they want to do. They empower them to do what's best for them. Yeah, there you go. Great answer. And I, I completely lost the question I was going to ask you next. And before when you were talking, I was thinking, uh, oh, I know it was about community, but you better know what your problem is and you better be solving it is what I was thinking when you were talking before with when you're helping people. But community is so important to you. How do you find your community? I put myself in as many rooms as possible. Um, I invest in community, so I pay to put myself in rooms. I, I go to conferences. I go to workshops. If I find an author that I really like, I'm probably going to show up at his or her conference if they are having one. Again, coming back to faith, I'm involved in a small group with my church in our in our business. We would never do our business alone. So we create community within our business locally and virtually. I just believe you have to put yourself in rooms with people. If you if you're the and I think that for two things. Number one, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you got to find another room to be in. Yeah. And number two, if you're the bravest person in the room, you got to find another room to be in because I want to always be putting myself in new communities with people who are doing things I never dreamed possible. That's why I love that I get to be on here with you. You're doing stuff that like is so inspiring to me. I'm like, okay, then I want to be a part. I just want to be a part and learn from you. Constantly looking for opportunities to grow through community. Do you have a message of hope you want to give? Yeah, I want to say if a normal guy, if you're like me and you have a dream of something you want to do, but you're not really good at it yet, that's just an opportunity to grow. I was a guy who made a normal guy want to jump off a bridge and then through growth and putting myself in rooms and through learning, I got the opportunity to help a real person not jump off a bridge. And if I can do that, there is hope for anyone to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve because all of us can improve one, two, three percent. All of us can, no matter where you start. My the, the statement I will make to you is the statement that was made to me when I was told how bad I did at my interview, they said, we're going to give you a shot because your future potential is not limited by your current abilities and we believe in you. And so that's my hope for you. Your future potential is not limited by your current abilities. It's just a starting ground. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how old you are. I saw you put that post up. I mean, I, I thought that was a great post on, I think it was Insta. I don't know. I'm not on social media that much, but I was kind of looking you up and everything i was scrolling around oh, i love that yeah <laughs> eddie crocker true. was a surprising thing I, I think you had her on there she started really late yes well even what it didn't i didn't put this one on there but abraham lincoln was considered a failure until his 50s yeah there That's you go 
<laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, you're never too old to make a shift, ever. Yeah. I love that. Jeremy, what's your favorite question to ask anyone? Well, Lauren, it's actually not a question. It's actually a statement. And, and that is, oh, that's, a, that's really interesting. Can you tell me more? Tell me more. If you'll start saying, tell me more, you will build such great relationships. Tell me more. Oh, that's good. I like that. And it's not pedantic. So it's, uh, it, it just shows interest. So that's, that's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Oh, Thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope. And I look forward to continuing our discussions in Clubhouse and wherever the roads lead us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was fun. Yes, it was. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Jeremy's messages of active listening, curiosity, and supportiveness. Such great messages to take into your week ahead. Be sure to tune in next week when health and vitality coach Michelle McLean joins 52 Weeks of Hope. Michelle's one of the most upbeat people you'll meet and as a transformational coach, she'll help you become skilled in weight and nutritional management, fitness, and everything to do with wellness. But she doesn't come to this realm easily. She worked really hard on her past traumas as well as on her personal losses and she reminds you that you can get through anything and emerge stronger with messages and lessons that can come from anywhere. It's a great, great listen. So you don't want to miss that one next week. It's super fun and uplifting and it's very engaging. You'll emerge stronger after that one next week. If you're on Clubhouse, be sure to come and say hello. I have the Hope Club. So come in and join the Hope Club if you're not already a member. I have the Clubhouse room on five o'clock Pacific time on Tuesdays. I want to give a shout out to Blueprint to Business for such a great review. Thank you so much. And also thank you to Mom to 8 for leaving such a fabulous review for the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a positive review and get a shout out on here. Also visit us on the website, 52weeksofhope.com. And when you go ahead and subscribe on there, give us your email. You'll get updates before everyone else, plus some of the outtakes from the podcast and some of the information that nobody else gets. So go to the website, 52weeksofhope.com. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.